Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. I'm going to go into my closet, do my little prophet thing, and then I'm going to come out with a killer word for Israel. They don't even stand a chance. So Balaam runs into his little closet. And he starts doing his little incantations. You know what I mean? Whatever he does. I don't know. I'm not a prophet for hire, right? And so he's doing his little thing. And God actually speaks to him. God of the universe interrupts his charade. And he says, Balaam, you are not allowed to curse these people. You will not destroy these people because I'm with them. So Balaam comes out. He comes out to his people. He's like, hey, uh, this is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> um, this hasn't really happened before, but I'm not going to be able to do the whole cursing thing for those people. And they're like, what? Oh, you know what it is? I said they need more money. So they get more money, send more dudes, and they go, no, no, Balaam. And he's like, guys, I... Okay, let me try one more time. <laughs> he goes into the room. He's like, oh, whatever. I don't even know. I, I literally don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And he's doing his thing. And God speaks to him. And he says, I want you to go with them. I want you to go with them. But you will only say what I tell you to say. So Balaam's like, okay. Maybe I can still get a little bit of money. Okay. So he goes out and he goes, hey, guys. I'm going to go with you. Just a quick warning. I'm probably not going to be able to say anything except for what God tells me to say. And they're like, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Just come. Please. Say, okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. I don't know what the accents are anywhere. They're just doing right? And he's coming. And so they go up onto this mountain. And they're like, all right, Balaam, so what do you normally do? How does your whole cursing thing work? So he goes, I want you to build seven altars. Rams, dead. Goats, dead. Burn them all. And they're like, all right, I like the way this guy works, right? So like, put seven altars and seven sacrifices and you see the fire, it's all going. And they're like, all right, Balaam, do your thing. And Balaam stands up there and he's like, oh, this is interesting. God just told me that they're actually gonna destroy all of you and that he's with them and that you won't be able to touch them. Balaam, what are you doing? Stop. You, we're supposed to destroy them. Stop. Shh, shh, shh. You know, let's go to a different vantage point. Let's go to a different vantage point. So he takes them to a different hill and he has them stand up. He goes, no, no, no. Look at the Israelites from this angle. And he's like, oh, okay. I'll try a second time here. <clears throat> oh, God just told me to tell you that they're going to decimate you and that if you don't run now, you're probably goners because they're God's people. No, Balaam, 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 come on this side. No, 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 no. You, you, I told you to curse them, Balaam. He's like, I'm just saying what I'm seeing. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. And so one more time, one more time, stand up. And he's like, all right, I got this, I got this. Oh, snap. God just showed me a picture of the future, and you guys actually are done. <laughs> Dude, try to write a Yelp review for that guy, right? <laughs> Hired to curse, and now we no longer are a people, right? Like, do, do I get a refund? Like, what? Dude, I just told you to curse them so that we can destroy them. And so Balaam, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, right? It's like, this is your job. This is your reputation on the line. And so he says, all right, I got one more idea, though. This is next level strat. 
He says, listen, listen, listen. I can't do anything about this. You will not be able to destroy God's people from the outside. But what if we could destroy them from the inside? You will not be able to come against them from the outside and destroy them. You will not be able to stop these people because God is with them. But what if we could find a way to get in between them and God? If we can't kill them, what if we could find a way to make them compromise? And they're like, <laughs> we're listening. And he goes, let's do this. Find the most beautiful woman among your tribe. Find the most beautiful Moabites. Get them dolled up. Send them into the Israelite camp and watch what happens. And the light bulbs go off and they send the Moabite women there. And the men were drawn away from the Lord. Married men saw that the Moabite women were beautiful and committed adultery. Israelite men saw these women and like, just like you do when you're in third grade and you're a boy, they got stupid. <laughs> That's not, oh, I, I was stupid. That's not a diss. I'm like, you know how it is. Like when I, was in, when I was a kid, I could talk to anybody and then a pretty girl walked in and I forgot my own name. You know what I mean? I judge I, I, I judge, <laughs> right? And so the men, right? The men are in the camp and they got stupid. They forgot what God had called them to. They forgot who God was. They forgot that they were married. There's actually a story. You go and read it in Numbers. And the entire congregation, guys, listen. The entire congregation is in the, the main meeting area and they're actually crying right now because of how bad this is, things have gotten. Like the men, this is epidemic. The men have, have been faithless with their families because of these Moabite women. And right in the middle of that meeting, even as people are crying and they're having a town meeting, there's one guy, similar to what you would do here, right? Comes through the curtain and like he's, behind, he's in the back of the room and he's kind of doing one of these things and he's holding a girl's hand. And right in front of his family, he sneaks into his tent. Ice cold. Ice cold. They got stupid. They wanted to just be nice to these girls. They go, oh, uh, which God do we serve? I don't remember. What about your God? Let's talk about that one. And so they started worshiping the other gods of the Moabites to please the women, right? Selling themselves out. And so we see the battle plan of Balaam as he's talking here. Look what it, look what it says. Look at the indictment. Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, Cause the people of Israel to act treacherously. What does that mean? It means they got stupid. Cause them to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And this is Balaam's strategy. If we can't destroy them with force, we will destroy them by making their convictions wishy-washy. If we can't take the Israelites out of the picture, we can make themselves, we can make them take themselves out of the picture by making their teachings less clear, more fuzzy, more wishy-washy. If we can't kill them from the outside, why don't we kill them from the inside? Students, I tell you this story because the battle plan of Balaam is alive and well today. 
I tell you this story and we get into our text tonight because I want you to be aware that there is a strategy that says, well, if I can't destroy you from the outside, if I can't defeat you with force, if I can't defeat you with violence, if I can't kill you, I'll compromise you and you can kill yourself. And in tonight's passage, we're gonna see that Balaam's strategy is alive and well in a church in Pergamum. This is the third church out of our seven. And Jesus Christ himself, remember, Jesus is not writing this as a pen pal. Dear Pergamum, that's not Jesus, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Dear Pergamum, I hear that down there, you are struggling with, no, 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 no. Where is Jesus writing from? He's right here. He's right in the midst of the lampstands. He's right in the midst of his people. He knows the seven churches. And so with an intimate knowledge about them, with clear understanding of who they are and what they are like, he says to them, Pergamum, what's with the wishy-washy? Pergamum, what's with the wishy-washy? That's his letter to them tonight. And we begin here in verse 12. Check it out. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Welcome to Pergamum. If you're a Christian, this is not friendly territory. (laughs) Welcome to Pergamum. Glad to be here, huh? If you're a Christian, Pergamum was not a friendly place for you. Pergamum was a city that prided themselves on how loyally they worshiped the Roman gods. You look up Pergamum in the dictionary and they will have an A next to their name. That makes no sense. You look them up in the yearbook and they will have an That still doesn't make any sense. You looked them up in the wherever and they are known (laughs) for how well they worship the Roman gods, for how well they worship the Roman emperors, right? You know what Pergamum was known for? Where's Union? Any Union students? You know that statue that you have out in like the thing, you're like, gladiator, yay, we're Unionites, right? Or what are you guys, Unionites? Titans, that's right. (laughs) I like Unionites better. I, I want us to be a part of that, like when they're building that new school. What could our mascot be? We want to be union. We could be union workers. No, right? <laughs> Unionites probably made top two, but you're Titans, right? So you have that little statue. You know what Pergamon was known for? They had the biggest statue in the empire of Zeus, right? So now let me tell you this. I want you to imagine. What do you imagine that the crowd... How do you imagine the mob that is in this city, how do you imagine that they treat Christians? When you're known, when you are known for how loyally you worship the emperor, how are you gonna treat people who come around talking about a different Lord? When you're known for how much you worship the Roman gods, how are you gonna treat people that come around and say there's actually only one God and his name is Jesus Christ, boom. You imagine it's probably not friendly territory, right? It's probably not easy to be a Christian in Pergamum to say it this way, this is not Christian country. This is Satan city. (laughs) They are so deep in enemy territory that look what he says. He says, I know where you dwell, Satan's throne. 
He says, Pergamum, I understand. The environment that you're in is so hostile to Christians. It's as if you're in Satan's capital itself. This is not Christian country. This is Satan city. A super difficult place to live for Jesus. Welcome to Pergamum. Do you have any athletes here? How many of you are athletes? My athletes, you're gonna understand this next point. How many of you understand the importance of home field advantage? Hands, if you're an athlete, do you understand the importance of home field advantage? Cheerleading doesn't count, dear, I'm sorry. It's not because it's not a sport, it's because what's home field advantage? We have our home pom-poms. I mean, no, no, we can do the fight Oh, the band. So that's football. You're talking about football. Okay, that's fair. So home field advantage, right? Like if you're a player, if you are a player, you prefer to play at home because you have your home crowd, your home stadium, your home track, you're familiar, you got your own locker room, you do all your weird routines in the end zone, right? Home field advantage. But you know who else benefits from home field advantage? Not just the players, the fans, Have you guys ever seen your team play on the road? Have you ever gone to a team game, an away game for your team? You're like, no, because the only football team in a million miles is the Seahawks. I apologize. You guys are neglected for that. But listen, like in other parts of the country, there's a lot of teams and you get to choose and you get to be mature. I'm sorry, I won't go there. Okay, so when you go, I'll pick on myself. I'm an Eagles fan. I'm an Eagles fan, okay? And I love the Eagles, But I'm going to be honest, we are the worst fan base in the history of mankind. The worst. People do not come to our stadium to root on their team because they are scared for their lives. (laughs) True story. Last year, the Detroit Lions came to the Philadelphia Eagles. A dad with his son wore his Lions jersey to the game which would make sense because he's cheering on the lions. He's waiting at the train station after the game and the dad gets mugged by a bunch of Eagles fans. That's messed up, right? Dude, you, wanna, you, you think that's bad? You wanna talk about a crazy, crazy sport? What about soccer? What about a country like in Europe where like if you lose the game, you're scared for your life, right? That's why, like soccer, I don't play with soccer because I know better. It's a cult, right? <laughs> come on, come on. We're all three years old and we kick the ball. Nuh-uh, because as soon as I'm older and I lose, I'm dead. You guys know about the referee in Spain, right? <sighs> Look it up, right? If you're a fan, like when you go to a game like that in Europe, you're not like sitting next to people and you're like, oh my gosh, isn't this nice? Fellow fans cheering on our team. Kudos to you. You're my enemy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She learned her lesson. She's awake. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, if you go to a game in an away city, all of the other fans from the other team, they're not saying we're fellow fans. They're saying we are your enemy. You are rooting for a different team. You are our enemy. Do you get what I'm talking about? To make it clear, Pergamum is not home field advantage for Christians. People that are living in Pergamum and they're trying to follow Christ every day, they are reminded by the fact that you are the enemy. You are, the, you are in enemy territory, cheering for the opposing team and worshiping the opposing God. Welcome to Pergamum. You're the enemy. 
Welcome to Pergamum. You're a Christian. This is enemy territory. And you know who the enemy is? Do you know who the enemy is? Who's the enemy? Satan's the enemy. Not the mob. Not the emperor. Not the crowd. Not the circumstances. He's making it very clear here. Satan is the enemy. This is his home turf. Students, you need to be reminded right now and right here. There is an enemy to your soul. The friends that make fun of you in the locker room, your friends who are antagonistic toward the faith, that's not your enemy. The government is not your enemy. The president is not your enemy. The other countries are not our enemy. The enemy is Satan himself, a very real being whose chief goal and desire is to destroy your faith. So you need to be reminded here, there's an enemy here. And I don't know about you, but when I was very young and in organized sports, I learned very early, always know the strategy of the enemy, right? And so students, you have an enemy of your soul. And Jesus has made it already very clear. Look at his strategy. Satan's strategy to destroy you. We learned this week one. Let's review. Number one, persecution. If I can threaten to kill you, dude, you'll quit. Oh, you live for Jesus. Oh, that's cute, Josh. That's very nice. How about I steal all your family members and throw you in prison for life? You still want to follow Jesus? Ah, there you go. Persecution. It's Satan says, maybe I can force you. I can scare you off the path. And then his second strategy, he says, if I can't scare you off the path, I'll lure you away from the path. And that's when we get to seduction. He says, if I can't tempt you to quit, I'll tempt you to compromise. I'll tempt you to compromise and lure you away, okay? And so, welcome to Pergamum. Which strategy are they experiencing in Pergamum? Strategy number one, the persecution is on, students. So much so that somebody has already died for it. Dude named Antipas. Who's Antipas? I don't know. But it seems like he was the first person in Pergamum to be killed, not because, he, not because of drunk driving. He wasn't killed because he walked through an intersection. He was killed simply because he followed Jesus. How would you respond to this? If you were in Pergamum, how would you respond? If you're a Christian, and there was literal pressure on you, persecution, threatening your life, how would you respond? Think about it. How would you respond? How would your faith fare? Would you be tempted to quit? Look how they responded. They were in the middle of enemy territory, and yet, he says, yet, you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. Point number one, guys, we have good news here. They are standing in the midst of persecution. <sighs> Welcome to Pergamum. Enemy territory, and yet they didn't deny the faith. Yet they are holding fast. They're still following Jesus. Good news. Strategy number one has failed. Everybody give me one finger here. Strategy number one has failed. So if you're the enemy and strategy number one has failed, what are you going to try next? Number two. Strategy number two. He says, dang it, I couldn't scare them off the path. 
I even killed one of them. And yet they're still standing in the midst of persecution. And so I'm going to try my second strategy. And look what the devil does. Check it out. Starting in verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. We just went over this story, remember? Everybody say Balaam. Say Balaam. There you go. You're going to be looking through the yellow pages, looking for Balaam, okay? So also, in the same way, just like in the days of Balaam, you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And so Satan is here and he's saying, persecution hasn't made them fall. So if I can't destroy them from the outside with death, maybe I can destroy them from the inside with compromise. If I can't get them outright to quit, maybe I can make them quit themselves. Maybe I can make them compromise so that they stumble right? Just like Balaam did. I can't get them from the outside. I'll get them from the inside. Maybe just like Balaam, I can put a stumbling block in their path. Maybe I can give them wishy-washy teaching. Maybe just like Balaam, I can get them to be wishy-washy about the truth. I can get them away from the clear teaching of God. I can make things less clear and more wishy-washy so that they will stop being obedient to God and destroy themselves. The brilliance of Balaam's plan, the sad brilliance of his plan is that he did far more damage to Israel than Moab could have ever done because their faith was disconnected from their God. And so just like Balaam, the Nicolaitans, they're coming in and they say, maybe, and again, who's the enemy? Is the enemy the Nicolaitans? Who's the enemy? Satan. So Satan, using the Nicolaitans, says, maybe I can move them off the mark. Maybe I can destroy them from within. Maybe I can get them to compromise. And so the Nicolaitans, they start teaching, right? And this is the way they always work, false teachers. Because if a false teacher stands up and says, listen, Jesus is no longer the way, follow me. How many of you guys are gonna be like, whoa, good point, right? (laughs) Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, I tell you. I am Christ incarnate, I'm finally here. And everybody goes, yes, no. So the way that they do it, they stand up and they're way more subtle. And they say, listen, Jesus Christ is the way. Continue to worship Jesus, He is God after all, but we can also continue to serve the gods of our culture, can we not? You can have Jesus and still on the side, follow the traditions, come and sit at the banquet table of Zeus with me and drink to his honor. That sounds reasonable. That sounds intelligent. Some would even say that sounds pretty tolerant. And isn't that a virtue of the spirit? They stand up and they say, Jesus is the way, of course, but friends, Jesus is concerned with your spirit, not your body. So continue to indulge in sexual immorality because God doesn't care what you do with your genitalia. He cares what you do with your heart. After all, God knows your heart and he knows that you're a good person. So eat, drink, and be merry. That sounds interesting. I mean, I mean, like, this is like my private, like God's probably not like in my private life anyway. So as long as I'm still going to church and reading my Bible, like, does God really care? 
This is the Nicolaitans. You know what that sounds like to me? (laughs) Wishy-washy. That sounds pretty fake news to me. God doesn't care what I do with my body. God said, flee from sexual immorality. God doesn't care if I partake in a little idol dinner and get my grub on. He says, flee from idolatry. This is fake news. This is not truth. It's wishy-washy. And so just like Balaam, the Nicolaitans, they're coming and they're giving this false teaching. They're giving the, the lack of clear teaching. They are ripping a play right out of Balaam's play look. And just like Balaam many years before, they are creating a stumbling block and they are causing followers of Jesus to fall because of lack of truth. Everybody say wishy-washy. If somebody stands up, dude, from here, I will murder them, right? But if anybody stands up out there, like on that platform that everybody uses, you know, the podium that everybody preaches from, it's called YouTube. And so if somebody stands up on their pulpit and they start giving you teaching like this, you know what you say to them? (laughs) Wishy-washy. Literally. Hey guys, remember update theology? Hey guys, Jesus is the way, but update, he now doesn't even care whether or not, what? Wishy-washy, that's garbage. That is garbage. And so because that teaching, because that teaching is so wishy-washy, dude, you're about to poop your pants. Because that teaching is so wishy-washy, look how Jesus Christ signs the letter. Did you guys notice already? It was in the very beginning. Did you notice how Jesus signed the letter to the people who have wishy-washy teaching? Look how he signs the letter. Oh, I'm sorry. They are stumbling in the midst of compromise. All my note takers like were turning blue. They're, I need the next part. They were standing in the midst of persecution, but now we see they're stumbling in the midst of compromise. And so they have this wishy-washy teaching, the Nicolaitans, and then look how Jesus signs the letter. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Yo, that's dope. Jesus got a sword like in his pocket? No. Does Jesus have one of those like crazy ninja swords on his back that he pulls out? No. If you were here week one, where's the sword? I want you to point. Where does he have the sword? In his mouth. The picture of Jesus is that there's a sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth. And everybody who's new to Revelation, they go, oh my gosh, Jesus doesn't have a tongue? (laughs) No, it's imagery. Welcome to Revelation. What does it mean that he has a sharp two-edged sword? It means that his words are not wishy-washy. His words are sharp. His words are clear. His words are precise. His word is truth. So this wishy-washy, wishy-washy, he goes, no, 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 I'm writing to you the one whose word is sharp. They're stumbling in the midst of this compromise. They're stumbling in the midst of wishy-washy. Maybe Jesus said, does it even matter? As long as we love each other, does it even matter? And he says, I need to talk to you. Signed, the one whose word is sharp and clear and cuts through your soul. That's the author of this letter. Let's bring it in here. 2018 students, let's bring it in here. Do you see the importance of truth? Sam, I'm really not concerned about truth because I think it's more about love. And so it doesn't matter what we believe. No, no, students, do you see the importance of truth? Do you see 
why every week we literally go line by line through the Bible? Do you see why I highlight the words on the screen for you in yellow so that you're never just taking my word for it? Do you understand the importance of truth? Do you understand why I want you to have good teaching and a clear understanding of what we believe? Do you see how important truth is? It's important, friends, because to lose the truth is to lose your way. To lose the truth is to lose your way. I don't really need truth to follow Jesus. Then how do you follow Jesus? To lose the truth is to lose your way. Wishy-washy teaching is not simply bad because some type A people can't handle it. You guys know type A people, right? How many type A people in the room, right? Like somebody puts a comma instead of a period and you're like, Maybe that's a bad example because all of you are so bad at grammar these days. It's horrendous. All right, you guys write me emails and I'm like, oh, greater. I'm sorry, that was uncalled for. I apologize. Please forgive me, Eleni, because you're the exception to the rule. Um, but, but do you know what I'm talking about? Like any type A people where like somebody like misspeaks and you can't even listen to the rest of the sentence because you're caught up on that one word, right? Right? It's like, hey, um, um, yeah, he was, he was, he was going, I can't even do bad grammar on the spot. Uh, you say, I, I come to you, I, I coming, and you're like, I am coming, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? Is that why truth is important? Because all the type A people in the room are going to have a conniption? No, that's not why truth is important. Is truth important because a bunch of stuffy conservatives just can't get over themselves and are like, well, technically... Is that why truth is important? No, students. Truth is important because to lack truth is dangerous. If we get wishy-washy on our teaching, if you get wishy-washy on what you believe, seniors, listen to me, because if you have not heard this from me a million times, when you go away to college, you know what's at stake? You know what's at stake when you submit yourself to somebody's preaching and teaching? man, if you don't have truth, you will fall. Truth is important because if you don't have it, you will fall. It's like putting a stumbling block on your path. It affects the way that you walk for Jesus, your obedience, your faithfulness, your ethics, your devotion, your entire life is at risk if you don't have truth. I say it this way, living for Jesus without truth is like trying to run through a dense forest without a trail. You don't know where you're going. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to fall. Students, we need solid truth. And truth is not just what I say. Truth is not what a leader says. This is truth. Do you understand how important this is? To lose the truth is to lose your way. You don't know where you're going. And so thankfully, in a culture that makes fun of the idea of truth, in a culture that tells you you're stupid because you believe in truth, we make our own truth. What do you mean truth? We don't make our own truth. In that kind of culture, God gives us a path. We've done this many times here at Citizens. The path, it's a road, and it's the road marked holiness. That's the street name. 
holiness. It's a road. How else would I know how to walk? How else would I know where to walk if it wasn't for the clear little lines? My soul needs the clear little lines, the dotted lines that say, this is the path. Sometimes my soul is really bad and I even need the bumpers. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, where my bowler's at, right? I need the bumpers. God has given us truth. He's given us a path. So when we talk about truth, understand what's at stake here, everything. Because if you lose the truth, you lose your way. Students, we hold fast to truth. We need solid truth. And so the Nicolaitans here, they need to be handled. They have stumbled in the midst of compromise. And so look at the final verses here. Look what Jesus says to them. Therefore, repent. If not, Jesus is ice cold. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. They were standing in the midst of persecution. They stumbled in the midst of compromise, but we see here finally that they can repent in the midst of failure. They can repent in the midst of failure. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me it's not too late? Wait a minute, you mean to tell me that these people were standing up, that the church had bad teaching in it, and now all they have to do is repent? You mean to tell me that after all of that, it's not, they're not too far gone? Nope. Students, look how gracious Jesus is. That even after all of this, he looks at them and he says, just come back. That even after this grave error, that even after this disgusting mistake, Shouldn't they be kicked out? Shouldn't they be judged? Shouldn't we never talk to them again? He says, no, 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 repent. Just stop, turn around and come back to me. And we see Jesus waiting there for them, pleading with them to come back like the prodigal son waiting for them to come back home. Students, take note of this. You are never too far gone. You're never too far gone. And the lie that you hear in your mind is like, nah, dude, I messed up. Man, I, man, I've already told God I would never do this again. And I, here I am and I'm falling asleep and I feel miserable. I'm done. There's no chance for me. Maybe you're here and you look at your friends and you go, man, enough is enough. I'm writing them off. I am not gonna invite them back again. I can't believe they're still struggling with this. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. You're never too far gone. And Jesus calls you right in that moment. He says, you know what you need to do right now? You don't need to earn it. You don't need to make up for it. He says, I have already made up for it. I died so that you don't have to die. I took the penalty of your sin so that you, instead of experiencing the penalty of your sin, you can experience the grace of my call. Just come. Repent. You're never too far gone, students. You're never too far gone. Jesus is long-suffering. God is extremely patient. 
And I know what makes this difficult is that you have many people in your life whom you've turned around and you've apologized to and you were met with condemnation. And you said, well, I learned my lesson. I guess I can just never go back. God is never like that. He's always there to greet you. He will always greet your humility with his grace. You're never too far gone. Never. And so they can repent in the midst of failure. But who does he tell to repent? The Nicolaitans were there. They made this mistake. And so was everybody in Nicolaitan? Was everybody in the church in Nicolaitan? No. He said, some of you hold to this teaching. So not everybody was in Nicolaitan, right? But who does he tell to repent? He says, therefore, repent. Uh, Jesus, you didn't name any names here. Jesus, you didn't call out any individuals. You talked about Antipas. Now list the Nicolaitan people. He tells everybody to repent. He says the whole church repent. Whoa, 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 Jesus. I'm not a Nicolaitan. Why are you addressing me when it's only a few of these people? Why is he telling the entire church in Pergamum to repent when only a few of the church people are in error? You know why? Because we're a family. And we have the shared responsibility to confront error like this. It is a shared responsibility as a church to not tolerate such false teaching. It is our responsibility as a family to confront one another and to approach one another whenever we see such error here. And so he tells the whole church, hey, repent. You, church, under the authority of your elders as a whole congregation, repent because you're a family. And this is on all of you to get it right. Handle this. Because if you don't, <laughs> I will come to you soon. This is one of the most epic verses in the Bible. And I'm going to admit to you, I'm not even entirely sure all that it entails, okay? So with that said, let's appreciate the epicness. I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. If you don't handle them, I will. What does it look like for Jesus to war against the Nicolaitans? I don't know. <laughs> what does it look like for Jesus to fight against him with the sword of his mouth? I'm not entirely sure, but here's what I am sure about. He's not tolerating this by sitting back passively. Jesus says, I'm gonna handle this because there's no place for such wishy-washiness in my church. In my church. So if they don't take care of this, Jesus will. But for those who overcome, for those of you, citizens, for those of you who overcome this wishy-washy culture, for those of you who maintain the truth, for those of you who endure all the way to the end, holding on to the truth, look what God promises. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. If you read your Bibles, you know what manna is? When Israel was wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, God sustained them by giving them manna. And in the same way, he says, I know that living in this culture, students, I know it's like a wilderness. I know Camus High School is not a catwalk or a cakewalk or both. It's neither. I know it's like a wilderness. I know Union High School is not exactly Christian country. I know that Union High School is like a wilderness, but students in the wilderness, I will sustain you. I will give you manna. And you know what else I will give you if you overcome? I'm gonna give you a white stone. And everybody's like, yes, 
the white stone. Oh boy. Just let that preach to you right here. Everybody close your eyes and be like, mm, white stone. <laughs> Dude, if you're not an ancient Greek, if you are, what's up, Percy Jackson? But if you're not, ancient Greece, when you were on trial, at the end of your trial, they would either give you a black stone, which would mean that you were guilty, or they'd give you a white stone. That meant you were innocent. And Jesus says, I want you to hold on to the end because when you do, I will give you the stone that says you are pure, you are innocent, you have made it, not because of who you are, but because of what I've done and I will show you your innocence for overcoming. And look what's written on the stone. This is super cool. This is like where you just realize the Bible is just good literature. On the stone is written a name. God's gonna give you a new name. This is all symbolic. It's, it's beautiful imagery. He says, I'm gonna give you a stone and on the stone is gonna be a name. It's a new name. Nobody else is gonna know it except for me and you. There's the intimacy, right? Nobody's gonna know the name. And you know why? Because when your parents named you, they named you in hope of what you would become, right? I'm going to name her Nora because it means shining bright and she will shine bright for me. You don't know Nora? That could be the most depressed child that ever walked the planet. I'm going to name him Justice because he will reign in justice. That dude is going to prison at 18, right? Like who knows? I'm just like, I'm being honest, right? I'm going to name her Joy. Your parents named you in hope of what you would become. Jesus is going to name you not in hope of what you would become, but in hope, but in knowledge of what you are. Jesus is going to give you a new name on the stone, and that name is going to be more accurate of who you are than anybody has ever spoken into your life. That name is going to perfectly capture who you are and what you're about, and it's his way of saying, I know where you've gone, what you've gone through. I know what you've endured. I know what you've struggled, Abby. I know who you are, Josh. I know what you've gone through, Tyler. And here's my, here's what I'm gonna call you. Here's how I'm gonna show perfect knowledge of who you are. I'm gonna put a name on your stone and nobody's gonna see that name except for you and me. Thank you, Jesus. That's beautiful. He knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And he says, overcome, finish, overcome. And when I welcome you in, I will, I will name you innocent. I will declare you innocent and name you. For those who overcome the wishy-washiness. Students, we're gonna be a people here at Citizens. I want you to be a group of students who don't get wishy-washy about the truth. I want us to be a group of citizens who remember that what's, remember what's on the line here. To lose the truth is to lose your way. To lose the truth is to lose your way. If you abandon truth and people tell you, no, no, it's not about truth, it's about love, it's about relationship, it's about all that. But what do we base that on? So we need to be a group of people that love truth. And so here's where I want to get practical. As we respond, as the band comes up, here's a few things that I want you to do. Very simple, but here's how you can put a cap on this message, okay? Number one, know it. Don't be a group of students that likes to talk about truth, but you don't know truth. 
I really believe that the Bible is important. Do you know the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Rhetorical question here. When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you had a thought of scripture, a thought from scripture, a nugget of truth that you were able to chew on all day because you meditated on it in the morning? I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to challenge you. Let's know it. Let's know it. Number two, let's speak it. When you speak to your friends, is what you're saying truth? Or is it filled with lies? Is it seasoned with the gospel? Do people listen to your words and they go, man, that is wisdom there. That is just truth. Thank you for that. Or do we just speak the the major headlines of the culture? No truth, speak truth. And then number three, perhaps most importantly, live truth. Truth is not meant to be studied and memorized. It's meant to be lived. Walk it out, students. Walk it out. Do you love truth? Do you live it? Do you speak it? Do you know it? We need to, friends, because here's what's on the line. To lose the truth is to lose your way. To lose the truth is to lose your way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us enough to, to give us your word. And so I just pray that this would be a, a community of students who love truth. We want to love people, no doubt, Lord. You told us that a couple weeks ago, to combine our love for truth with love for people. When you said that to Ephesus, but Lord, I pray, help us to love truth. Help us to learn as young people that the most loving thing we can do is to courageously speak the truth in love. Lord, I pray that you would create a hunger in these students for your word. Lord, I pray right now that you would confront every heart that is honestly disinterested in your word. Help us to be honest. Help us to look in the mirror and to go, man, if I'm being honest, I'm not hungry for the Bible. I'm not hungry for the word. I'm not hungry for truth. Bring us there because that's where it begins. And then Lord, grant us a hunger, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.